Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Rage of is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up? And shalom, welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters and scholarship counts. My name is Caleb Haig, and with me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It's going well. Yeah. Where, the, where, where theology matters and scholarship counts and theology matters. That's right. Dude, so we've, I didn't... We've done that before. I didn't, I didn't realize this, but actually, on I just figured this out the other day because I saw an ad for it. I didn't know that uh, Dr. James White, that's like one of his taglines, theology matters. And the way I oh. found I found that out, because he's selling shirts that say theology matters on the front. But that's okay. I didn't mean to steal Dr. White's tagline, but I feel like I'm in good company. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Everybody in the chat room, what up and shalom to y'all. What up and shalom. Everybody on YouTube, Vimeo, we're happier with us. Okay. Uh, we have Caleb, a, should, yeah. should, before, should we give a, a, just a teaser for next week? Uh, yeah, go, go for it. Next week, Caleb and I are going to be on enjoying Vacay. some, a, a vacation a little bit. Uh, away. Yeah. So our much touted interview with Dr. Chris Tilling, yes. who, uh, took time out of his, uh, Friday afternoon in London or actually in Surrey. I think he was at home, uh, from the, uh, Great Britain, uh, talked with Caleb and I. We had a wonderful conversation. I think the interview went o- went well over an hour, if I remember right. I think we. I think by the time we took everything out, it was fifty nine minutes. We're going to be talking about. Okay, yeah, because we, we we talked way beyond what we were actually recorded, I guess, for the show. But um, talking about his book on uh, Paul's divine Christology. Excellent book. It, Excellent yeah, we're just so excited about it. We're we're thrilled to have been able to connect with Dr. Tilling. And uh, for those of our listeners who are not aware of his work, we encourage you to check it out. He uh, recently was an editor of, a, of another book, Engaging uh, Paul in uh, Theological Issues. And uh, uh, he, he also was a co-author on How God Became Jesus, a response to Bart Ehrman's book, uh, How Jesus Became God, which is where I found out about Dr. Tilling. Man, what a good book. And actually, I would say that that book is probably more the speed of your average church messianic synagogue goer. If you, because, you know, yeah, as, the, as the, we've Paul's said... Paul's divine Christology is really dense. I mean, uh, it's just real dense. You've got to know like, Greek. You have to know Greek, yeah, and somewhat and, well. And in order to get the all the benefits that, you know, into the into the weeds, you know, into the... Uh, into the soil to, uh, of all his points, yeah. Um, but in any event, we're excited that uh, y'all get to hear that, and we hope that that's an encouraging, encouraging uh, uh, time for you, even though it's not going to be live. 
Uh, chat we, room will still be open though. So chat room will still be open. So okay. Anyway, so, just so, wanted. To so let's that. get let's get all the uh, all the niceties out of the way. The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Find all sorts of fun, wonderful, scholarly, free things uh, on TorahResource.com. By the way, for those who might not know, Torah Resource Institute is going to be offering a free course come here in August. And we're going to be doing a, so it's going to be, I think it's going to be a week long. There's going to be two lectures and as well as a Q&A with the teachers. And it's going to be on the subject of the calendar. I think that's what we've de- determined. So mm-hmm. what calendar should we be following? Uh, it's going to be great. Now, it's going to be, it's a totally free course. However, there is a $5 registration fee. So if you want to sign up for it, uh, you got to pay the $5 registration fee. But the course itself is totally free. You won't need to buy any books or anything like that. And you, if you've never been to, uh, uh, if if you've never been to a Torah Resource Institute Institute class, this will give you an idea of how it all works. So there'll be there'll be a combination of of uh, recorded lectures, of reading assignments, and then uh, questions, and then a, there's a, a forum. So all participants in the class will uh, log in to the forum and be able to interact in multiple threads. Uh, on the various topics that we cover, uh, and we're we're really excited about doing it, and hope that uh, people will uh, come and participate and get a t- little flavor of what Torah Resource Institute study is like, sure. and that it would just be a benefit for them generally, even if they decide that you know now's not the time to take any classes or anything like that beyond this um, summer mini course. We hope that it would still be uh, helpful in their their quest for for biblical truth. I just saw that we have, I, I don't remember this. Hang on just a sec. This isn't reality television. This is actual reality. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, so I should also say that we have a lot of hands helping us here at the Robin Caleb Show. Hands like Mark Randall, who has been so gracious to be able to put up our chat room, which we enjoy every single week. He keeps it going and uh, that whole site. And then uh, Gary Springer also is the one who programs all of Torah Resource Radio. So if you listen to Torah Resource Radio at any other time, uh, then, then yeah, it's because of Gary Springer. So thank you to those guys. And hopefully, if, if uh, Michael Gonzalez is listening, hopefully we'll start benefiting from his graphic arts designing here shortly. Uh, the guy's so busy. But boy, does the Robin Caleb show need some new graphics. There's no doubt about that. Okay, we got a lot to get to today. And uh, before we talk our way into 15, 20 minutes, let's get directly into it. For those who might not know, uh, we've been, we've been uh, looking at uh, we've been looking at the doctrines of grace. We're going to put that on hold for a couple of weeks, and we're going to move on to some other issues. And we're going to do that because uh, there's some pressing issues that have happened. For those who might not know, there is a very well-known ministry within the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement called First Fruits of Zion, also known as FFOZ. In the past week, they have uh, they have released videos from their 2015 conference that they did, and uh, there's been there's some interesting videos that have been put up, uh, theologically interesting. Now, I should say, you know, I'm friends with the guys at FFOZ. Uh, I've sat down and had. M- Several a meal with Toby Janicki. I like that guy. He and I actually are kindred spirits in more ways than one. It's not just faith that we have in common, actually. Toby is a little bit of a, I wouldn't say an ex-hippie by any stretch of the imagination, but he certainly is a fish fan. Now, I'm not a fish fan, but I am a cheese fan. That is the string cheese incident. So 
uh, we both we both have uh, the jam band uh, itch, and we and so I you know I connect with him on that, and he's he's such a he's such a great guy. He's over in Colorado, and uh, so anyway. Uh, I, I like Toby, and then I've never actually met Jeremiah Michael, and that's Boaz Michael's son, one of jo- uh, Boaz Michael. He has several sons, and uh, Jeremiah is one of his sons. And actually, he, he his demeanor, I could tell right away that it was Boaz's well, son uh, because his demeanor is that way. So anyway, uh, now I, I didn't even get to – I it took me a day and a half to pull. I have 21 clips that I pulled from these two lectures. And uh, so, <laughs> which is, by the way, the most amount of clips I've ever pulled for any one single sh- Robin Caleb show. So. Wow. Yeah, right? Uh, so let's get to it. Now, Rob has not seen either of these videos, okay? And um, the reason that I chose these two videos is, well, because I watched them first. People sent them to me. There's another reason they sent me links to them. And because uh, the, the content was that... Uh, what I thought should needs to you know be talked about. So we can go one of two ways. Rob's never heard any of these clips. He's never listened to the lectures themselves. So Rob, would you like to go towards Gentiles and the body of the Messiah first, or would you like to go t- towards rabbinics? You steer the show, brother. Oh, I should have had that music I, ready. I don't know, Caleb. You choose. No, 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 no. Okay. Let's okay. let's put it to the chat room. Chat room, what do you think? We we'll have to wait for the. I have a quarter here. <laughs> flip a coin. Sure, flip a coin. Let's see what happens. Somebody's uh, going to write in and tell us that that's pagan. Flipping so coins heads is, pagan. is heads is <laughs> what should be what heads will be uh, Gentiles in the body of the Messiah. Tails will be rabbinics. Go. Okay. Tails. Okay, rabbinics. Here we go. So this, let's just start, since we have 21, 21 clips, let's just start right into it. Here's our first clip. This is Jeremiah, yes, we see it. This is Jeremiah Michael speaking from FFOZ. Now, keep in mind, uh, they, they put this on their YouTube page, okay? So um, so this is going to be Jeremiah Michael. He's going to pose a question. This is the, the question that he's going to pose that's going to set up his whole lecture. Okay. And so some of these clips I didn't pull because, uh, even to critique, but rather because I wanted to kind of give a flavor of what, uh, Mr. Michael is, is speaking about here. Hey, look at that. Gage is in the, uh, is in the, uh, chat room. Welcome Gage. Last week, uh, he was supposed to be in the chat room and, uh, and he thought it was on Thursday. So he, Texted me on Thursday and was like, "Why isn't anybody in the chat room?" <laughs> uh, welcome to welcome to the chat room, Gage. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll welcome you properly uh, towards the end of the show. We'll see. We'll see if we have time. Do I even have that? Oh, I do. I do have that. Uh, I have that sound clip. Okay, here we go. Here's uh, Jeremiah Michael setting up his his lecture. I'm going to throw a statement up on the screen. And then you have to say either... Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's Jan- Janicky. I apologize. I said in the wrong place. Jeremiah Michael, starting with his first question. All right. So I'm going to ask a question today. And the question is, it's controversial, but I feel it's very important to ask and consider. When former Messianic Jewish Hashkafah, the question is, does... Okay. I'm sorry. We need to go back. Uh, he, now, you're going to hear this word continually, and this is what the, uh, what the whole conference, I believe, was on, which is a Messianic... Hashkafah. This means outlook or, or what would you say, worldview? 
Yeah, worldview. Yeah. It's kind world of interesting. It's interesting. Interesting. They would choose that term, but anyway, go ahead. So, yeah. so, so let's not yeah. nitpick it too much. <laughs> so, the, the, I believe the whole comp because every single one of the lectures has to do with the Messianic Hashkafa. Here we go. The question is: Does traditional Judaism, in the form of the Oral Torah or the authority of the rabbis, have any role in forming a Messianic Jewish Hashkafa? And the point of this exercise or this whole talk even is not necessarily to focus on areas that we agree with or disagree with, although we'll see certain parts of that, um, but is just to simply gain an understanding of the oral Torah from the framework of traditional Judaism. Okay, now before, now we could have just, just listened to this whole thing on our show and, and stopped when we wanted to, but I didn't want to do that, obviously. Um, so instead, I, I need to set some of these things up. His his talk, I believe, is thirty nine minutes minutes long. His his lecture is thirty nine minutes long. In the first twenty minutes, he probably says ten times. Now, I'm not saying that we believe this or or don't believe this. I'm not saying we agree with this or disagree with this. I'm just telling you what traditional Jude, Judaism believes. Now, I think that this might have been a well crafted way to speak about this, so that it doesn't get FFOZ or Jeremiah Michael into trouble. Okay, now I did the same thing in my, in my uh, talks on rabbinics. I said, let's sh- see what rabbinic Judaism believes. Okay, and then I went through that. The difference is, is that Michael at the end, that's Jeremiah Michael, uh, Mr. Michael at the end is going to make some very interesting statements about what he believes. So anyway, um, so let's go on. <clears throat> so, and he poses this question. Okay, so we're going to keep going with uh, Mr. Michael. So now we're, I would like to now take this idea and I would like to filter the idea of the oral Torah through the lenses of traditional Judaism to understand how it functions. All right, so we're going to go back to the beginning of the oral Torah. And that's a really good place to start. We want to go all the way back to the beginning, where it started. We want to figure out its origin. And a person's character is largely reflected by his or her origin and the environment that it's shaped within. So we're, we're planting a seed in, on Mount Sinai, so to speak. We're, we're planting the oral Torah. To answer this question of where the oral Torah came from, we need to go back to the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, according to the Midrash. So what if Moses was given more than just the Ten Commandments? What if he was given more than that? Well, Jewish tradition holds that Moses was given, in fact, a Torah that, was composed of, that is composed of two facets, an oral side and a written side. The written side is the final word of God. It's the final word. It's the general conclusion. And the oral side is the, um, is the interpretation of the Torah. And it's the renewal of the Torah that takes place in every generation through the sages, according to a traditional Jewish mindset. Now, okay, he said twice in there, according to a traditional Jewish mindset. So this is not what he... Uh, what Jeremiah Michael is trying to say is this is not necessarily what he believes. This is what traditional Judaism b- believes. However, and I can see, man, I'll tell you what, our chat room is on top of it. They are on top of it. So they're already asking the questions. First of all, he says traditional Judaism. I'm surprised you didn't stop it at that. Well, there's a couple things already. Now, I mean, we can listen more. Go, uh, keep but, going. Go for but, it. But right now, what I'm seeing is that he's talking about a perspective from what I would say popular halakhic uh, tradition today. 
Um, and he seems to be talking that when he says, tr according to the Midrash, according to traditional Judaism. But um, if we look at, for me, I think chronology is, is so important. Um, because what he's done by, by adopting a perspective of early, you know, medieval to today, what has become kind of, you know, halakhic Judaism and, and using the Midrash as an authoritative voice for understanding the tradition, he's uh, basically leapt over the second temple period and the early, even the early, uh, you know, the, the early rabbinic period where the concept of Torah Sheba al did not even exist. You should explain that term, Torah okay, okay, Sheba'al Peh. Torah Sheba'al uh, is the Hebrew phrase that emerges in uh, slowly over time, post-destruction of the temple. Um, and it's, it's not even clear in, in its origins. It has different conceptions of what it means. Uh, but ultimately... It does, uh, you know, by the end of the, the Talmudic era, it does solidify as a doctrine of two Torahs. The doctrine of the two Torahs, which Jacob Neusner, who is a major rabbinic scholar in the 20th century, uh, calls a myth. It's the myth, the myth of the two Torahs given at Mount Sinai. So what I'm hearing this person say, they're just re, uh, regurgitating what's called the rabbinic myth, that Moshe received not just one Torah at Sinai, but two Torahs, and that the sages are the guardians of that, uh, of one of the halves. Uh, but what, what is missing here is a whole section of the chronology that is, uh, it's like we're slicing out the middle of the line, right? We're going to slice out the second temple period and the early rabbinics, and then we're going to cut that part of the timeline out, and then we're going to, boom, we're going to bring together, you know, popular uh, halakhic Jewish writings uh, today and, uh, you know, Sinai, and we're going to conflate that. And uh, uh, so that's a concern. That's a, that's a flag. Just get, hearing only this little bit here, uh, uh, that's a concern. Okay, so the biggest concern that I had in this whole thing in this clip up to this point. Now, keep in mind, I'm listening in chrono chronological order. You know, I'm listening to this as it's going along. To this point, he starts using the term oral Torah. Pardon me while I cough. Hang on. He starts using this term oral Torah, okay? And uh, and he, he says that we need to, you know, we need to discuss the origins of oral Torah. At no point in this entire 39-minute lecture is Mr. Michael going to tell us what he is meaning. He's not ever going to define his term. Now, he's already uh, referenced the Midrash. Okay, so I have to assume... Right, the Midrash, as the, if that's yeah. also... If there's a like a book you can just go refer to called... The Midrash. The Midrash and yeah. then you have... No, it's, it's, so, yeah. so I'm guessing that he's, you know, and, you know, my dad brought up a great question the other day. At what point, so if, if, let's just pretend if, if someone says, and I'm not necessarily yet saying that Mr. Michael is saying this, okay, we'll, we'll listen to his clips. But if F of OZ or anyone, let's say anybody, is saying that the, 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 uh, Oral Torah, quote unquote, oral Torah has carries divine authority or divine weight. 
does that mean that the cannon was not closed? Right? Yeah. Well, it was, 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 the, was the cannon not closed at the, at the Council of Carthage? If, if God gave Moses something at Sinai called Torah, it would probably be canon, right? It would, sure. be, authority, it would be authoritative. But at what point does that canon close? In other words, is the Zohar then part of is is the Zohar part of that canon? Oh yeah, well the Yitzhak Shapiro is going to say yes. Yeah, and and all of uh, Isaac Luris' group and even the Mitnagdim, the early Hasidim, they took the Zohar as words of the living God. Exactly. Right? As much as they took the Talmud as words of the living so God. So when we use the term oral Torah, he refers to it as if we all know what he's talking about. Is he talking about Zohar? Is he talking about Luria, is he talking, I mean, what, what is he talking about when he says oral Torah? Because the Hasidic Jews are going to tell us that that's part of oral Torah, right? Okay, let's keep going. So, 87 poses a question. Did we already listen to this? No, we did not. Okay, so let's listen to this one. So to answer this question, we need to first understand what it is we're looking at. So to gain this understanding of what the oral Torah even is. So we, we hear this term thrown around, but, you know, what is it? What, what is the oral Torah, and how does it function? Boom! There, now, this is the question that I've been waiting for. What is the oral Torah, and how does it function? He never answers the question. Oh, really? No. He just asks the question? Well, I think he thinks he answers the question. He says that it was given at Sinai. But, oh, wait a minute. Wait. Does he say that he believes that or that's what the... He that's says that's the, what traditional... That's the, Ju- doctor, the doctrine he, of the two, tor- the okay. two Torah... Yeah, but doc- once again, he's using this term traditional Judaism and he's not defining what that means. So is he talking about yeah. what sliver of Orthodox Judaism are you talking about? Are you talking about the Hasidic, Judaism, the Hasidic Jews? Because if that, is, if that is encompassed into your definition of... Orthodox Judaism. In other words, okay, let's pretend for a few seconds that we're going to say that the Chabad are part of Orthodox Judaism, which I have to assume he would agree with because he doesn't define his term ever. If that's the truth, then is Schneerson's sayings and writings, are those going to be taken as oral Torah? Because the Chabad certainly are going to say that that's oral Torah. Right, right, right. Right? And so... So what I'm hearing you say, Caleb, is is when... When teachers or presenters talk with these vague, cloud ter- cloudy, foggy terms and never define them, um, we, we have to wonder who's benefiting. What's the benefit for – how does this translate into my day, right? Well, it, how does it translate? Now, he's, ta- he's trying to – now, I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to – you know, he's already told us what his goal is, to shed light on the question of whether or not – Oral Torah, which is undefined at this point, is uh, influences the Messianic, and he hasn't defined that either, the Messianic Jewish Hashkafa. So now I would like to, you know, I'd also like him to define, since we know a bit of FFOZ's uh, theology, is he talking about only those who are ethnically Jewish in the Messianic movement, or is he talking about Gentiles as well? So in other words, Toby Janicki has openly said on his videos by FFOZ that he is not Jewish by blood, he's a Gentile. So my question then would be, okay, for Jeremiah Michael, does this, does this talk influence Toby Janicki at all? Since he's, not a Messi- since he's not a Messianic Jew, 
quote. On, I'm using quote is, marks uh, for those who can't is see. Jer- is Jeremiah Michael, is he Jewish? I believe uh, the Michaels are Jewish. Okay. So, but, but okay, then you have this. Well, I remember that, that in the Ten of David book, uh, Boaz talks that he, he converted, right? So he converted. So maybe his wife's Jewish or maybe he, his wife converted too or something. Anyway, that, that's a side note. Yeah, but, but the point, the, my point still stands. Let's take what we know for a fact. Toby Janicki has openly said he is a Messianic Gentile. He's not Jewish by blood. Okay, so then does what Mr. Michael here is saying, does that, should that inform or should that, should his talk be geared towards just the message. Like who's his audience? Like who does he imagine himself talking to? Did Toby Janicki get up and go get a cup of coffee during this lecture? Is basically my, you know, like, okay, I need all the Gentiles to stop listening because this really isn't for you. This is for Messianic Jews. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. But I don't even know, where's he going with this talk? I oh, mean, what? oh, I just feel wait. like, okay. I don't want to get too clogged up on. Okay. So, 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 um, so I, I pulled this clip simply to kind of show you how his talk is going throughout. Uh, you know, once again, he keeps saying this is what Orthodox Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, Orthodox Judaism believes. So at this point, he's saying, I'm not saying you need to believe this or anything like that. I'm just telling you what Orthodox Judaism believes. He said that, he says that probably 10 times in the first 20 minutes. So now we're, I would like to now take this idea and I would like to filter the idea of the oral Torah through the lenses of traditional Judaism. Traditional Judaism. To understand how it functions. All right, so we're going to go back to the beginning of the Oral Torah. And that's a really good place to start. We want to go all the way back to the beginning, where it started. We want to figure out its origin. And I think he means according to Orthodox Judaism. He's, because he said that so many times. A person's character is largely reflected by his or her origin and the environment that it's shaped within. Did we listened to that already. Did we already listen to that? I'm sorry. I, I, have yeah. the, I have these two clips twice. I apologize, guys. I was about to say, is he just going to say a lot of the same things again? I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. <clears throat> I, I, I see what I did. I, uh, I did it twice. Okay. So, um, so now he's going... Uh, okay, I'll just play this clip. Here we go. So I've just mentioned that a large number of Yeshua's followers have serious reservations about the Oral Torah. What are their concerns? All right, so here are some of the most common that I've noticed through talking with people, through reading um, uh, um, books about this for Messianic people. Here are the, the, the top concerns that these people have about the oral Torah. They are, all right, the oral Torah blasphemes Yeshua. The oral Torah places tremendous burdens on people. The Torah does not even mention an oral Torah. Yeshua did not endorse the oral Torah. In fact, he directly opposed it. So if these statements are true, and if they're true, then a case could possibly be made in the, that traditional Judaism, in the form of the oral Torah and the authority of the rabbis, should not have a role in forming our hashkafa. So I want to go through and I want to um, not attempt to give um, you know, authoritative answers on these on these. Op- these objections, but just simply look at them and say, okay, here's how we can deal with them. Okay, there's several things that I got to say here. First of all, at this point, it's obvious that he's trying to be very careful how he's wording all this because 
He's trying to keep himself out of trouble. You know, I'm not giving authoritative answers to these objections. I'm just exploring them. Right? So he's, he's not trying to tell us what might be true or not true about these questions that he's now posed, that he's seen objections towards oral Torah uh, for the Messianic believer. He, but here's, here's the problem, is that when he, I think that we'll all see in his conclusions— what do you, what, I, I, see you I see you laughing no, at the chat. I have room. a question. I okay, need, every time he says Hashkafa, I want our listeners to go beep theology. Just hear theology. Yes. Okay. Agreed. Yeah, yes. Just replace this word because Hashkafa, what, by using this word, what it sounds to me is like, now I don't know their intent. I don't know, but to me, it's like choosing a, a, a Hebrew term. To do work, right? They're using they. You know, we use words. Words are tools. Then we put words together in sentences to communicate ideas to accomplish a job of communication. They chose this word, a Hebrew word, hashkafa, and they want to, which is used in the Torah not as a noun, but lehashkif in the the hifil is to look down. So, like, there's a couple. It doesn't. It's not used very much in the hifil. Mostly, it's the Lord looking down from heaven. So the idea is, is a worldview or a perspective that, that tries to see the whole picture. But this is really what the, biblical theology is, right? Theology is our orientation to understanding the Word of God as we live in this world, but we are not of this world. That's what, that's what theology really is. And so I think uh, he might, you know, FFOZ might not like me to substitute that meaning, but for me, that he's using the word hashkafa where I would say theology would do the job. Sure. And I, I can already hear what some people are going to write in and say, which is that, oh, you guys just pick apart, you know, you take snippets here with no context and you, and you, uh, you know, you bash other ministries. Well, first of all, in the show notes, I've put, uh, I've put links to the full lectures of all of this. I've watched the full lecture uh, completely. And I think that this, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we've done justice to FFOZ here in terms of, I would encourage all of our listeners, check the show notes, go to FFOZ's YouTube page, watch these for yourself if you think that we're taking these out of, out of context. Okay, so let's keep going then, because uh, you know, Rob and I, <laughs> Rob and I, I, I see what's going on in the chat room too. Rob and I have uh, already talked, now Rob, keep, keep your ears attentive on this one. We've already okay. talked about this great book that we have by, what was his name, um, who did Jesus in the Talmud? Oh, Sh uh, Dr. Peter Sh Schaefer. Yeah, yeah, Peter Schaefer. Yeah. So we've done a full show on this, okay? Um, and yet uh, Mr. Michael has his own viewpoints and his own objections to why uh, why the Talmud would be talking about Jesus. Let's listen. For question number one, the oral Torah blasphemes Yeshua. This accusation is based on legends in the Talmud about an individual by the name of Yeshu or Yeshu ben Parda. These legends contain all kinds of distasteful characters of this man. Now, unfortunately, many within the Orthodox or the Jewish community see these legends as referring to Yeshua. However, according to many leading Orthodox and non-Orthodox scholars, both modern and ancient, these passages are not seen as referring to Yeshua at all. Okay, I got to stop it right th there. Now, what? Can, does he name some people? Yes, he will. He'll name okay. one person. He'll name one person. But, you know, when I started looking, now I found three, maybe four scholars, Jewish scholars, Orthodox Jewish scholars, 
that say that it's not Yeshua. I found those on Wikipedia. Okay, and then I I went from there. I I could I had but, a hard. But that's against the the in medieval times. It's totally understood. Look at Rashi's commentary on the Talmud. It, it, it's it they knew who Yeshua was. Yeah, Rambam exactly. knew who Yeshua was, and they, and there's the legend of the Toldot Yeshu is all obviously, and the the there's legends of Shimon Kepha in rabbinic tradition that it's you'd have to be you have to really bury your head in the sand uh, to make the claim that it's not referring to. Okay, uh, well, let's listen to what he has to say then. Let's give him a due course here. So one predominant Orthodox rabbi who dealt with this is Rabbi Gil's student, and he is the head of the publishing wing of the Orthodox Union. And when he looked at these, he noticed several problems with equating these stories to Yeshua. And here are the, the following, and, you, and if you analyze these, you can see internal inconsistencies. So here they are. All right, problems with Yeshua. Several people in the Talmud appear with, a, with common names. So, for example, in Talmud, there are about roughly 14 people with the name Hillel. So, with these legends of Yeshu, you have Yeshu ben Parda, Yeshu, Yeshu disciple. So, what I should have said is, it's not one person Yeshu, it's several different individuals named Yeshu. And they're not actually named Yeshu, it's just they're called that because it's a derogatory term. So, it's highly unlikely that all of these different legends of Yeshu ben Parda, Yeshu, Yeshu disciple of... Um, I forget the rabbi's name, that it's all referring to the same person. Just like if you have 14 different instances of Hillel, it can't all be referring to the same person, all 14 different times. Number two. Hang on just a second, I want to stop Can there. Can we pause just, there? Yeah. Does he talk about, does he talk about the, the censored censorship of the Talmud? No, he does how not. Yeshua was... Uh, was hung on the eve of Passover, and that his disciples, one of his disciples, was Matthi, and I mean, it's it. Even if I, I would grant this point that it's possible that there are just like he points out, there are how many different rabbis named you know given the same name. Um, and there's one of the famous difficulties is is Rabbi Yehuda because there's there's uh, Rabbi Yehuda who is a disciple of Rabbi Kiva, and then there's Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, and you, you need to know, you know, if, sometimes it might be one or the other, and the context might not be clear. So that, that's aside from the point. Okay, well, uh, I, I want to I say this real quick. Uh, uh, Adam in the chat room has just uh, made a point, and I want, I'm not going to talk about this, but I want to read this comment just so that people can hear it, because it's like, uh, it's like he knows what's coming. FFOZ wants so badly to, and he says FFOZ, wants so badly to have Messianic Judaism be a part of the larger Jewish religious community. Just keep that in your mind. Yeah, so the other point is, is that what if, you know, in terms of, <clears throat> in terms of what um, Mr. Michael's saying here, what if that the uh, Talmud is just not inspired and there's actually inconsistencies in well, the Talmud? Well, if there's... It well, yeah. Is it authoritative or not, I guess? Okay, let's keep going because we still got more of this clip. Yeshu communicates with sages that lived either hundreds of years before or after Yeshua. So again, this goes back to the first problem that we're dealing with diff totally different individuals. So sometimes this Yeshu character is, you know, he predates Yeshua. Okay, now he's using Babylonian Talmud chronology. In other words, he... <laughs> 
Yeah, we, we, we can't use the Talmud as to, to build a chronology or a timeline because you have, there's too many layers of things going on. And so this idea of dating, oh, this guy dates before Yeshua or this guy dates after is taking the Talmud's own testify, testimony as to chronology as if that's accurate. And, and the thing is, the Talmud does not boast of any particular uh, chronology. It, this is what scholars are saying. Oh, this guy must have lived. Oh, this says Hillel. Oh, and he's talking to Hillel. Therefore, it must be, you know, early first century. You know, and that's, no, that's, uh, you can't read the Talmud that way. So that's, that would be an inaccurate way of, re of that's a misuse of reading the Talmud. He postdates Yeshua. So again, it's very difficult to say that these actually refer to Yeshua. And there is general confusion about who Yeshua's relatives are. Okay, so Gil's student also noticed that, you know, even in the Talmud, there's massive confusion about who Mary is, who uh, Mary Magdalene is. Again, going back to the top problem. Of course there's confusion. Of course there's confusion. They're not, they're not committed to any... They're not committed to Yeshua. It's not a Yeshua-centered uh, soteriology. Salvation is not found in Yeshua the Messiah for the ideology of, that the Babylonian Talmud represents. Why, would, why did they have any concern for preserving any accuracies uh, what we get is lore, we get folklore that, ex that grows into all sorts of different shapes and sizes to respond to whether they're responding to local Christians yeah, exactly. or whether they're uh, to Zoroastrians or Manichaeans or whatever the Persian, you know, uh, in the, the Sasanian era, you know, whatever the religions were that they were interacting with, um, that's where those, uh, those folklore and legends come to bear is to help preserve the border. You want to be like us. You want to, you need, the, the, the agenda of the Talmud is to shape a disciple to be under a sage, under a rabbinic authority, and to avoid teachers from the outside. Yeah, exactly. That's the function of the, of, of the Talmudic literature, is to, to teach a, a certain notion of self, of what it means to be a Jewish male, and who your authorities are, who, te who sets the rules for you, who you listen to, what you're to study, and who you're to, to keep your distance from. And it uses these legends and myths and stories to help shape the people's worldview. We know in the Talmud they quote the book of Matthew. Not one, you know, he says, uh, I don't think I've come to destroy or the Torah. You know, now it's, a, uh, it's obviously from Matthew. There's passages that are ob obviously parodies from the Gospel of John. And that Peter Schaefer and others have, have made this so clear. And that's just looking at the Babylonian Talmud. We've got other sources within the largest, what we call the rabbinic corpus of, of late antiquity, and we can show this. And um, uh, even the wordplay on evangelion, evangelion, which means good news, gospel, to as avongelion, which is... Uh, a scroll of iniquity and, and things of this, word plays that are, uh, that show that there is interaction. There's interaction between people who are committed to following Yeshua and the scriptures and people who are uh, saying, no, that's not the truth. You need to follow the rabbis. And, and 
uh, it seems that what I'm hearing so far is the person giving this presentation really doesn't have any of that on their radar. They're they're following, you know, Gil's student to some. I follow him on Twitter. You know, he's got interesting articles every once in a while. But that, but that that's neither here nor there because we need to talk about history. We need to talk about good chronology and and method. Um, Gil's student does, is not a is not a uh, scholar of Second Temple Judaism. Well, he's, a the, he's a Talmudist. Here's the thing is that I feel a little bit like, and th- I'm not trying to put uh, Mr. Michael down here, but I feel a little bit like he's looking at something from what he would consider an Orthodox Jewish perspective, but not from a scholarly perspective. Now, he might think that those are one and the same. However, I don't think that at all. In other words, when I talk to an Orthodox rabbi, that Orthodox rabbi is going to take all sorts of leaps that cannot be proven. The dating of the Mishnah, the dating of the Talmud, the dating of the Tosefta. What quotes are actually attributed to who? Whether or not the Torah actually went back to Sinai or not. Things that, from a scholarly perspective, is all nonsense. You can't really, you know, we don't really know these things, and scholars will admit that. But now, an uh, Orthodox Jew is going to say, no, 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 no. Uh, our writings tell us this, so we believe it. So th- the Orthodox uh, Jewish perspective is more to go on faith by some of these writings as opposed to the scholarly perspective, which is prove it. Show me where, you know, show me how this is true. And so I feel a little bit like Michael is coming at this, uh, at this pr- perspective from the perspective of Orthodox Judaism. That is that we believe these things, even though he's con- now I'm going to give him a uh, fair due here. He continues to say. Uh, that that this is uh, what Orthodox Judaism believes. However, right now he's making, and he's sa- said that these aren't hard and fast cases against what's going on. Uh, but the, the last point that he's going to make here in this clip is actually one that I've heard from other me- messianics, quote-unquote messianics, who accept Talmud and Mishnah and the, or- uh, and the oral traditions as, uh, as binding on believers. And listen to what this objection is to Yeshua being in the Talmud. Of that it probably is referring to several different individuals, some of them maybe even fictional. All right, and finally... Oh, can we pause one? there for a sec? Fictional, yeah, fictional. Yeah, Yeshua's not boiling in oil. <laughs> right. In other words, that that's folklore. It's it is it's absolutely fictional. But it but it's not just it's not just in the Talmud because they wanted to tell a story. Oh, let me just tell you about the story. He's boiling in oil. No, they're telling it because they want to steer people. They want to influence the people who believe their words to say, "Oh, okay, stay away from that sure. guy. Sure, that they those people those people don't." follow that guy. you got to stay with the rabbis because, boy, look at the punishment of those who fought. In other words, these, that's what we're talking about, function. The function of this literature called the Oral Torah is to keep, steer people to rabbinic authority and to reject the gospel as part of that. Oh, you're going to love this next part then. Listen. Extant Talmudic, Talmudic manuscript contains a modifying phrase of Nazareth after the name Yeshu, which led medieval interpreters to see this as a later interpolation onto the text. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, if I just heard him right, he said the earliest Talmudic manuscript that extant has... Does not have. Does not have. Oh, does not have. Okay, well, manuscript dates are not the only factor that that come into play. I thought the Munich... No, the Munich Talmud doesn't have... uh, 
The Munich Talmud is our oldest complete. Yeah, but it doesn't have Nazareth in there, right? The Munich Talmud does not have Nazareth. I would have to look. I, I would have, have to look, look too. Uh, we've talked but, about that before. But there, but the, we have to remember that the written... We don't have any official publication of the Talmud. All we have is the manuscript, variant manuscript traditions from different times, and then we have the printed editions, starting with Bomberg, you know, where we have... Where he was an editor, he had multiple manuscripts, and he's choosing what text to, to typeset. Right? If you're the if you're the printer, Caleb, your dad would know this very well, and from the printing side, although I don't know how much typesetting he had to do in his day, but if you're typesetting this Hebrew text, and you have you're making an official copy, and you have three copies you're looking from, and you come to a place where there's a variant, what do you do? You know, you have to make choices. So uh, there's very complicated history. But anyway. Okay, let's keep going. So I would say, and I hope you would agree with me, that it is our job to stand up for Yeshua as his disciples and to tell the correct story of his life and to also point out and to highlight the opinions of those uh, members of the Jewish community who do not see this as referring to Yeshua. Okay. So uh, he's going to make another point down the road here that you're going to really, really like. Um, let's keep going, though. I want to listen to more of what... Okay, can we just re- recap what, I, what he, I heard him just say is, um, as disciples of Yeshua, it's, a, it's on us to make sure the story of the, of the canon, the Gospels, as written and received, are, are put forth as the true story of Yeshua. Now, even though he didn't put it that way, that's the way I would, I would insist that this is... He's, we're talking about canon now. We're not talking about the Gospel of Thomas, Right. We're talking about canon. Um, so he's saying disciples of Yeshua have a responsibility to the canon of, of Scripture, which, in, which includes the Gospels, the canonical Gospels. And the second part he wants to point out is that the responsibility to uh, uh, those Jews who see the, that these Talmudic and other references as referring to Yeshua of Nazareth, uh, they need to be uh, confronted with the fact that there's other people within uh, Judaism, even Orthodox Judaism, that don't have uh, that have a faith commitment to the Gospels, but are still going to argue, well, that's not really talking about Yeshua. I think what, one thing that we would need to note is that it is in the it, it functions in the uh, using this word function. It's in the best interest of of Orthodox rabbis that are wanting to build strong connections with the Catholic Church. It's in their interest to side with the, with the position that, yes, these references we have in our texts that, that were censored in the medieval times, uh, they really don't, they're, not, they're talking about someone else. They're not talking about your Jesus sure. from your Gospels. Uh, so I think we should add that footnote. Okay, here we go. Let's listen to another. We got a lot of clips still to get through. So I would say, and I hope you would agree with me, that it is our job to stand up for Yeshua as his disciples and to tell the correct story. Okay, so the, uh, we just heard this little bit, but there's more to this clip now. ...of his life. And to also point out and to highlight the opinions of those uh, members of the Jewish community who do not see this as referring to Yeshua. But it needs to be asked, it needs to be dealt with, and this is important. What if these passages are actually about Yeshua? What if the sages did have in mind... Mashiach, Yeshua, does that nullify the entire oral Torah in traditional Judaism? I would argue, carefully, that it does not. Instead, it needs to be understood as a reflection of Israel's temporary blindness towards Yeshua. 
So, you know, Paul talks about how Israel will be blinded towards Yeshua. If these are actually about Yeshua, let's just say they are for a minute, um, that needs to be understood as a reflection of what God said would happen to the Jewish people in regards to Yeshua, that they will be blinded towards him. Okay, so so he makes the... Okay, I understand that. Yeah, but, I, so that's not anything... But okay, if you're ta- yeah. but it is something if you're taking... If you're taking the oral the Talmud as divinely authoritative, then it matters. Let's listen to his next comment. Right, right, right. So but uh, here are. Well, I, I mean, I would, I think that's understood that that uh, as Paul says, you know, avails over their eyes when they read. The sure, but so, sure, yeah. but but now if we're going to take this corpus of literature as divinely inspired, then we would have a problem. Okay, so, sure, sure. So let's keep listening. But here are two additional things to consider. The role of the Oral Torah and traditional Judaism, as is expressed in the Oral Torah, is to help explain the Torah and bring clarity to it. It's not intended as a whole to explain who Yeshua is or who he is not. Therefore, to throw out the entire system, based on a misunderstanding due to spiritual blindness, over an issue that is no doubt tragic, not the ultimate concern of the Oral Torah, would be, in my mind, an unfortunate decision. And we also should consider the fact, too, that these legends by Yeshua are just that. They're legends. They're agotic. Meaning they're not halakhic. They don't serve as, like, definitive rulings. There's no, at least to my knowledge, there's no definitive ruling in halakha that says, you may not believe in Yeshua. So here's the biggest problem I see with this. If they're spiritually blinded to Yeshua as the Messiah... First of all, how does that influence their hashkafah, using FFOZ's terminology here? And second of all, what else has God blinded them to theologically? Because they have rejected the Messiah. And how does that not only influence their theology, but how does it influence their halakha and their writing of the medieval and earlier works? In other yeah, words, think, if they're in, about, in other words, if they're mixed up on Yeshua as the Messiah in this place in the Talmud, how much more of the Talmud are they mixed up on? That's a, that's a, that's a fair question. And how and what method is uh, Michael? Is it Michael's or Michael? I don't remember. It's Michael. It's I believe it's uh, singular. What what method does he offer for those? Um, well, anyway, I guess I still have I still have to hear more. I, I guess I'm not sure where he's going. What this last point? What I'm hearing him say is, um, if if we assume for the moment that these legends in the Talmud are in fact about Yeshua, we could understand that as being part of Israel's blindness, which we knew was going to happen, and so it's not it shouldn't be surprising. Um, but also, it's not halachic. In other words, it's not uh, it has to do with fulfilling any particular mitzvah, which is what the halakha is all about. Um, and uh, therefore, and then he says, as far as he knows, there's no halakhic ruling associated with any of these. So, um, so we should understand those key things and not, uh, he says, therefore, from his perspective, that's not grounds to throw out, quote, oral Torah. Okay, so is that is that what I is that yes, what he's saying? Yes. Okay, I'm trying to understand. Okay, so so I have a 25 second clip because he stops at this point, and once again affirms. And moreover, as I said before, right now we're um, 
We are only asking whether or not traditional Judaism in the form of the Oral Torah or the authority of the rabbis has any role in forming the Messianic Jewish Hashkafah. So, you know, as you approach it, if you start to gain understanding of it, you know, just, just keep that in mind. You know, I'm not asking to just to, for you to fully endorse this. Okay, so I can only assume that there was a meeting beforehand where <laughs> some of the guys at FOZ said, you can't just come out and tell everybody that, that the oral Torah is uh, binding on, on believers. But with that in mind, with what he just said, he's not asking you to endorse all of it. Start to listen how he now changes his tune from, from that to his conclusion. Okay, before we hear, I have just have a question that I want to put on the table. I feel like we missed this. I'm following along. I know I'm hearing, this is the first time I'm hearing this, and we're hearing just clips, Sure. So, but bear with me. I feel like we skipped over a question. Did, is it, is there, did God really give Moshe two Torahs on Mount Sinai? He, he, never, and, he never addresses it. Did, he really, did, did this really happen? And do the, the, what we call the rabbis today, the orthodox, halakhically committed rabbis, are they really the guardians of this other Torah that was given to Moshe? I need to know whether that's true or not. It, because if that's not true, if all that is a myth, as Jacob Neusser calls it, then why then why are we romanticizing? Why are we whining and dining like it feels like? You know what I mean? The, yeah, I think that that's a very important question to ask. But he never, and I mean never, touches on it. And so the truth and the fact that there is no oral Torah Shabal Pei in the, the Second Temple period. So this is a non. It's it's like imposing. This is maybe like when Yeshua is talking about you know you the. Uh, sewing a patch on an old garment or something, you know, this kind of thing where it's a mismatch. We're trying to apply, enforce something on the testimony of Scripture that is not there. Anyway, I, so, I'm so, somebody, I somebody, somebody recently in the chat room said that uh, uh, Mr. Michael is going uh, to a university in Israel for rabbinic literature. So I'm sure, oh. that, he, I'm sure that he'll have some uh, good insights into what they have said in the rabbinic literature, but... <clears throat> I think that uh, after you hear some of what he's going to say, you'll be impressed. Your mom goes to college. Okay, here we go. Here's uh, Now, this is where he starts to get into his conclusion now, okay? Um, and his conclusion is going to be a, kind of a different tune than what he's been teaching this whole time, that you don't have to believe this, this isn't, you know, this is what the Orthodox Jewish people believe. Now he's going to start saying some hard and fast things. An often cited story... To prove Yeshua's aversion to the Oral Torah is account for Mark 7 with the hand-washing. Okay, he's still in, I'm sorry, he, this isn't his conclusion. He's still talking about some of these objections that Messianics have towards Oral Torah. And uh, this one is going to be interesting. Well, Yeshua, he's, you know, he's going back and forth with the Pharisees, and he says to them, he says, um, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. Now, if we strip away our filters, it is difficult to say with certainty that what Yeshua meant here by the word commandments was only what is written. Notice how he does not identify the commandment as strictly what is written and the, or, and, the, and the tradition as strictly what is oral. This is a construct that is imposed on the words of Yeshua by a Christian paradigm. So while we okay. never see Yeshua narrowly define... Can you help me understand? What did he just say? He's basically saying when, when, uh, when Yeshua says how easily you set aside the commandments... 
commandments of God by your own tradition. What he's saying is, well... He might not be talking about Scripture? No. What he's saying is he's talking about Scripture, but it never says that oral Torah is not considered commandments. Well, he never he doesn't even mention oral Torah. No, but that's that his point. His point is that No, he mentions tradition of men. Yeah, but what what Michael is trying what Mr. Michael is trying to say here is that is that uh, the oral Torah could be wrapped up within the commandments of God if it's God breathed. If it's divinely sanctioned, that could be considered commandments of God. So Yeshua could be talking about the oral Torah here too. Oh my. <laughs> well, he quotes scripture. Yeah. He says for Moshe said Yes, but right? I, I think I think you're starting to see this shift now. Oh, wow. Mr. Okay. Mr. Mr. Yeah. Michael is I think attempting to kind of say uh, answer your question in a very now, now I don't want to put this on him because I know that we'll get I would get pushback from this. But it sounds to me like what Mr. Michael is saying now is that the oral Torah was in fact given at Sinai. Okay, let's listen more. I I I'm wondering, it's like, is he really going to come out and say that, you know? By a Christian paradigm. So while we never see Yeshua narrowly defining what a commandment is in the way uh, that we might like him to, we... <laughs> Time out. Yes. I think of the, the rich young ruler. He says, you know the commandments, and what does he do? He lists <laughs> the commandments from the Torah that are written in the Torah. You know, what are the greatest commandments? He lists the Shema and the, and the love your neighbor. He, lists, he gives commandments. Uh, the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not commit adultery. It means you don't even look at a woman to lust after. Don't, I, you've heard it say don't kill, but I say not even in your heart should you hate your brother because you've already killed him, basically. You're already guilty of murder. I mean, he's talking about commandments. I guess I don't understand. uh, Well, the one thing that I said in the lectures that I gave in the Philippines is there's no place where we have uh, uh, Yeshua or anyone saying, as Moses said, and then following that by a quote from the quote-unquote oral Torah. Yeah, well. Okay, let's keep going. Listen, keep, keep, focus. What a commandment is, in the way uh, that we might like him to, we do seem living a life that adhere to much of the oral Torah. So we see a show participating in synagogue service. We see making pre-mail blessings, um, you know, among other things, tithing, or at least um, endorsing the way the Pharisees tithed. And we seem having the same concern as the sages. So here's a, a quick example. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So why would he not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple? That seems kind of, you know, what if someone wants to carry their Bible through the temple? Well, they didn't have Bibles back then. According to the Oral Torah, the sages, a person may not enter the temple, mount with his staff or his sandal, or with his money pouch, nor should he enter it with dust on his feet, nor may he make the temple uh, mount a shortcut. Okay, so now he's blatantly reading, uh, I believe that that is Mishnah, Back yeah, yeah. back into back into the first century, wow! Blatantly, uh, yeah. now this is where the comments. This is where his uh, wrap up begins, and and boy oh boy, I think you'll enjoy. You know, the, this the traditions of the sages that are along those lines are are later. You know, of those course. are po- those are post destruction, <clears throat> and they're already dealing with the traditions of Yeshua's followers. <clears throat> pardon me, that are have preserved a a very. Uh, 
powerful and potent and memorable image of Yeshua knocking over the money changing tables and releasing all the animals and uh, you know and so it's like wow that's an appeal if you hear of a rabbi in the first century you hear of a rabbi who did that in the temple you'd probably want to go listen to that guy talk right and then and those that's a, a, an important uh, story related by disciples of Yeshua for this for every year to come since Yeshua did that they've been talking about that so it's no wonder that the rabbis would that we see these kinds of comments that say yeah oh yeah yeah you uh, you know but then it the way this person's presenting it is like the rabbis already had this official Mishnaic rule and Yeshua was just say yeah I agree with them yeah yeah exactly. yeah, I'm, yeah I agree with them okay so this is my favorite clip that I pulled from uh, uh, Jeremiah Michaels uh, uh, lectures and we, we only got three left this one's only 23 seconds but then the, we got a couple of long ones that you're that will really wrap up his talk here you go ready and a further problem with seeing Yeshua as opposed to Earl Torah and traditional Judaism is that it pits Yeshua against his own people it, it, it puts him at odds with them on a major on a, on a major area and Yeshua cannot be the Messiah of our people if he is fundamentally opposed to us in practice and theology. Okay. That, I'm sorry, it just, there's so many what, here's uh, what theological I'm issues here's what with I'm, that. What I'm hearing is a desire for Jewish believers in Yeshua. Tell me if I'm wrong. This is what I'm hearing. A desire for certain Jewish believers in Yeshua who love Israel to find a way to affirm the halakha as it is to affirm uh, rabbinic tradition to affirm the sanct some sort of sanctity to um, what they're going to call oral Torah or the tradition the the traditions okay within Judaism they want to assert that as it is and because that's true they they see Yeshua of the Bible does not fit. Well, first of and all, so they're trying to find a way to make it fit. I want to play That's this one more. I, now, what you just said, I, I will let Mr. Michael answer that in the next clip. But first, okay. I want to listen to this one more time. And a further problem with seeing Yeshua as opposed to Earl Torah and traditional Judaism is that it pits Yeshua against his own people. What own people? Now, once again, he is taking how, how many people within, within the ethnically Jewish people alive on the earth today, how many do you think are are Orthodox Jews or Hasidic Jews. I would say less than 10%. So, oh, tiny, tiny. Percent. Tiny, tiny, tiny percent. So it doesn't pit him against his own people. It pits him against the sect that you want him to be pitted, that you see him as pitted against. It, it puts him at odds with them on a major, on a, on a major area. And Yeshua cannot be the Messiah of our people if he is fundamentally opposed to us in practice and theology. He cannot be the Messiah of our people if he's opposed to us in practice and theology. What about the fact that he calls himself yod Vave In John 8.58, I am. Isn't that Here's opposed the to... He's, <laughs> he is, uh, what I'm hearing is an elevation of oral Torah over Yeshua, and then saying if Yeshua doesn't fit, then he can't be Messiah. This is similar to what we heard from Yitzhak Shapira, is like, we're going to uphold Jewish, uh, yeah, Jewish this, theology, this Jewish uh, Kabbalism, and if Yeshua doesn't fit, well, then he can't be the Messiah. Messiah because, exactly. 
And it's like, you know, it's how come we don't put the scriptures up, hold up the scriptures as the truth, as the guide for our hashkafa, recognize the importance of history, recognize that when the, the apostolic writings were written, that the Mishnah did not exist, that the, that the what he's doing, he's taking things from later in history and then saying Yeshua needs to somehow uh, fit. It's like he's got a new puzzle and he's taking the puzzle piece of Yeshua out of an earlier puzzle and he's trying to make it fit into this bigger puzzle and he's saying, well, if, it, if I can't find a way to make it fit, he must not belong. Because okay. he's... He's he's committed to the oral Torah picture, not to Yeshua. Here's well, the other thing: wait, wait, oral that, Torah does not define the people of Israel. That's exactly right. He's like our people. No, Yeshua is not fundamentally at odds with our people. The polarity is not Israel and our, uh, Gentiles, and we have to no. The polarity: are we in Messiah or not? That's the basic polarity, and it's not for us to judge. If someone's in Messiah, Baruch Hashem. If someone at present appears not to be. Like we've talked before, we're, we're not the judge to say, oh, you're outside forever. Our hope is that that person also would be found in Messiah. That's the fundamental organization of social life for the body Messiah, not uh, Israel or as encoded in a halakhic tradition, pick the one, pick which, which Hasidic group or pick which uh, ultra-Orthodox uh, group you want to stick with. Um, it's not that, again... It sounds to me like we're talking about these clouds. We're talking. We're looking at clouds, and Caleb, you're like, "Oh, I see a bunny in that cloud," and I'm like, "Well, actually, Caleb, it's a duck." <laughs> uh, you know, and it's like it's 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 like, but but we've left scripture. You know what I mean? We've left scripture. Well, okay, okay, wait, hang on just a sec. Now, now let, let I'll give you a breath here because what you said earlier, the first time I listened to the clip, let me let uh, Mr. Michael uh, respond himself to that. I would like to now look at some positive reasons why we might consider allowing traditional Judaism to inform and to take shape uh, and to um, take a role in the shaping of our hashkafa. So we'll now go back to the two points I made at the beginning of my talk, and we'll input them in to our developing hashkafa to see how it fits. Like Israel, which remains distinct through the Oral Torah, so too Messianic Judaism can remain can maintain a unique distinction by means of the Oral Torah. The Oral Torah is the explanation of the Torah. Adhering to this explanation will help us remain united not only as a movement, but also with the rest of the Jewish world. There so it is. the Oral Torah serves as a means by which Israel remains unique, and also, by extension, it could also mean the way that we as Messianic Jews remain unique. So really what this all boils down to, and if I had to sum up my talk in one sentence, it would be this. If you care about Messianic Judaism being a Judaism, then the Torah, oral Torah will play a critical part of our hashkafa. If you're not interested in that, in Messianic Judaism being a Judaism, then the oral Torah will not be of great value or significance, and neither will the term Messianic Judaism. <laughs> We do not get a lot of humor here, and when we do, it's wonderful. Okay, so obviously... Yeah, he's, he's exposed his commitments. Yes, exactly. His commitments are this. His commitment is to this term, Messianic Judaism. His commitment is to a term called Judaism, and 
he's going to rearrange scripture so that so that he can have that label. He's committed to a, a label that has currency, and that that currency that by adopting and affirming uh, his personal religion as a quote Judaism and just putting that badge grants him no that there's nothing between him and God. There's nothing to do with righteousness or holiness or being in Messiah. It's an access pass into a small sliver of the larger Jews in the world, right? We're just a small a, a sliver of all the Jews in the world that are have some sort of commitment to that's that same terminology well, to that he, same term. He he so says he he says that he, he says he says that the oral Torah unifies us. Well, if that's true, I'm still wondering where Janicki is at this point. Is he out getting coffee? Did he have to leave this this uh, lecture? If the you know if this is for the Messianic Jews and not for the Messianic Gentiles, as well, he's, he's not. But I didn't hear. Now, of course, I didn't hear the whole thing. He's not telling us what exactly oral Torah is in any specifics. No, but he says right? that he, he's, he's not because but, because he might say you might say that you might say well the the Talmud says a Gentile who observes a Shabbat is worthy of the de- worthy of death penalty. You might quote that to him from the Bavli. And he would say, well, Caleb, um, all I said was that its shapes are, it's, it plays a role. It doesn't mean that's authoritative. So right there, we would say, you know, it's probably not authoritative right No, there. but he said that, that the oral Torah gives, gives uh, Messianic Jews identity and sets them apart. From who? From the from the Christian Gentiles, right? So if the Gentiles are not supposed to be keeping this because it's part of the Jewish identity, then his colleague Toby Janicki would have to not be a part of that identity, right? So how is that unifying? Isn't that breaking them apart instead of unifying them? Okay, I've got one last clip from uh, Mr. M- Michael. Let's listen to it. It's a long one. It is critical that, Messian, that, in my mind, that the Messianic Jewish movement be an authentic Jewish movement. <laughs> that means that we, as a practicing Judaism, would... Re- I'm sorry. There, this is the ongoing postmodern quest for authenticity. There's they, no way that, that Messianic Judaism is, Judaism is ever going to be seen as a legitimate Judaism from Orthodox Judaism. They think that we serve an idolater. That's not authentic. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just don't see how this could be even possible, let alone a true statement. Jewish movement. That means that we, as a practicing Judaism, would remain distinct in our observance of the Torah. And it's only through the oral Torah that one is able to define Jewish observance of the Torah. You know, the lighting of Shabbat candles, the prayers, being called to the, the, the Torah to, make, um, to read from it, saying Shema, shaking a lulav, building a sukkah, and so on. These are all practices that are derived from the oral Torah. Nope. If we ignore the role that the oral Torah has played... I was just listening to some of these commandments that he's listing. So, our, you know, that, that maybe gets to your question about the Gentile. Because one of the big ones is, is when Yeshua teaches in, in Matthew and Mark, you know, that the greatest commandment is the Shema and the love your neighbor, so he cites from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. Is that, is that obligatory to Yeshua's Gentile followers? Or is that obligatory only to Yeshua's Jewish followers? There's huge, there's huge theological implications with what he's saying here. 
And it's like he's he's covered his bases all the way up until now with this is what Orthodox Judaism believes. This is what Judaism believes. I'm not saying you should, you should need to believe this. I'm not giving you hard and fast answers. All these things. He's covered his bases. But then he comes out in his, in his final hurrah and he kind of throws all of that out and gives you this idea of, okay, well, actually... Even though I've said it's all what uh, Judaism believes, this is what I believe, and I think I can, you know, he's going to uphold this as his, theology, as his hashkafa. In keeping the Jewish people distinct, and we don't make it part of our hashkafa, then what's stopping Messianic Judaism from becoming, from becoming assimilated into the church and becoming another Christian denomination? That oh, no. Messianic Judaism getting assimilated into the church? So he's... Exactly. What we're dealing with here is identity politics. That's right. Identity politics. It's anxiety as to what label you put on me. Okay. Let's uh, hang on. Just right? a second. Oh, you yes. called me a Christian Hebrew roots? <gasps> oh, oh, man. No. That's not who I am. Okay, let's keep That's going, though, because I, I, I want to finish Jewish. I want to finish this up because we got more to go to. Tags on a few vestiges of Torah <coughs> observance to it, but largely remains Christian, like the Seventh-day Adventists or the Hebrew Catholics. So put it plainly in the words of, of Aaron, the oral Torah puts Judaism in Messianic Judaism. We as Messianic Jews and Gentiles through the oral Torah have a great opportunity to make ourselves a light to the Jewish community by showing them that we adhere to the same Torah they have for thousands of years. And that the same Torah that they have for thousands of years. Once again, I think he's reading oral Torah okay, back play, to Sinai. Rewind? Could you go back just a little bit on that one? Yeah. I want to catch we as Messianic Jews and Gentiles through the oral Torah have a great opportunity to make ourselves a light to the Jewish community by showing them that we adhere to the same Torah they have for thousands of years and that we do not seek to place ourselves outside of the community. And the oral Torah is the explanation of the written Torah. When we as Messianic Jews and Gentiles approach the oral Torah... Um, we should not approach it strictly as a means to an end, the end being justification of our belief in Yeshua. Rather, we should approach it with the same attitude the Jewish community has for generations, as a means to clarify the Torah. Messianic Judaism's communal practice would be far more unified and consistent if we were to look to traditional Judaism for guidance. As a Jewish movement, we should not be afraid to um, embrace the authority of our sages as our own, and even to argue and wrestle with them, to look to them for guidance in areas of confusion, and to see the theology of the Jewish people through them, there should be no reason why we should see ourselves outside of the Jewish people or outside of the, of the theological conversation of the Jewish people, of our people, of God's people. There you have it. Okay, so here's the question. Because there's the theoretical side, right? You know, even a Christian... Who's, who does who gets good grades, you know, can go to Hebrew University and study Talmud, you know, if they learn the languages, you know, there, a lot of, there are a lot of universities that will, uh, that aren't really going to check your faith commitment or what you do on Saturdays, right? There, and you can participate in in-depth study of rabbinic literature in its original languages um, and have in right scholarly presentations and give I'm, I'm a Gentile and I gave a paper last 
November at SBL on the Masora, right? And uh, I, Lord willing, I mean, I'm slated to do it again. And so, like this year, Caleb, your dad is as well too. And but but SBL isn't checking your drawers to see if you've got the the Orla, <laughs> right? It's not uh, checking your faith commitment because it's a it's a uh, a peer reviewed academic uh, pursuit of sharpening knowledge and understanding with sound method that's that's that environment so if if the michael family wants to grow in that kind of knowledge i would encourage them to get that kind of education and and attend the sbl and uh, attend those types of conferences where you have Jews from all different flavors. You have real conservative Jews. You'll have liberal Jews. You'll have uh, total secular Jews. You'll have non-Jews all presenting uh, discussions and presentations on very in-depth issues that require all the language skills and background uh, pursuing Sharpening knowledge and understanding of history. That's, that's, that's totally available to everybody. Now, but if he's talking about social consequences, okay, I live in, let's say I live in Jerusalem, I'm Jewish, I believe in Yeshua, and man, I just, there's no, I, I want to go to an Orthodox yeshiva, or I want to go, go to a Hasidic yeshiva, because I just want to learn what they know. But they're not going to let me in if I tell them I believe in Yeshua, or if I tell them I'm Christian. So I have to tell them I'm Jewish, and I have to tell them that I'm okay. You know that I'm open to studying oral Torah, um, and that uh, I keep a lot of the oral Torah. Then I have a ticket in, into that world socially. That's you see still what I mean? Non- it's still nonsense, though. You're not going to have no, a ticket. Well, that, but that's the gain. The only gain I can see is that is to lose their salt. Now he says he wants to be light. Where is the opportunity to be light if I'm not going to say? Here, here is scripture revealed. This is scripture. The apostolic writings are, are scripture. I don't hear him saying that, uh, that, that it's authoritative. Instead, he wants to say the rabbinic texts are authoritative, and we're not going to talk about that the gospel of Matthew is authoritative. Or, or I'm not saying that they would deny that. I'm assuming they would say that. They published the Delich translation again. I'm assuming they would say, to say that that is scripture. Um, but to testify of Yeshua, we have a long history of, of, of that, you know, of there's people testifying, um, who are Jews who are born and raised in rabbinics, who have way more worldview of, uh, oral Torah lifestyle and hashkafah from youth, multi-generation who come to Yeshua and are shown the door. They lose, lose their job. They're kicked out of Jerusalem because that's what Yeshua prepares his disciples for in the heat of thing is that you're going to be you're going to be persecuted they're going to hate you because they hated me um, if you're if you're trying to sneak around and say well I'm going to find a way to be lovey-dovey uh, I, I I would say okay but there's a little flag there is like at what point do you testify to who Yeshua is and are you willing to accept the social ramifications of that testimony? Um, I mean, if you look at like our, our friend uh, Bobby Walter, you know, Chosen People Ministries, he shares some amazing videos of Israeli Jews who who were, uh, you know, they were Orthodox Jews, right? And they had rejected Yeshua, yeah, crazy Christians, and then 
the Ruach works on them and boom, they're all for Yeshua. But then what happens? They, they're, you know, their family basically disowns them and there's social ramifications for following Yeshua. There are social ramifications and uh, I don't hear any of that being talked about. I, what I hear is this dream or a romanticized view of, of oral Torah, which is not even in Scripture. We can't even define it, what it means. It's just vague cloud land where we're going to go and imagine that somehow we're learning how Torah really works, what Torah really means. And through that, we're going we're gonna to cultivate our Messianic Jewish communities and live a special way of life, a special lifestyle. And, you know, if that's what they want is a special way of life that they feel good about, then go for it, you know. But uh, it, it <clears throat> see, I I disagree with that, and the reason why is because I can't say go for it. What FFOZ has taught is a separation, uh, and they might they I know because of Toby's talks that they would reject this. But even in his own talk, he uh, he basically gives this separation of Jew and Gentile. Jews are distinct, Gentiles are not, which rips apart the body of Messiah. And I think that Ephesians is quite clear that the dividing wall has been broken down. And that Here, so, I, lo- I love someone just said, "How could Yeshua be against his own people?" Remember that statement. Yeah, yeah. He says, how, "Yeshua is a hundred percent for his flock." Here, if you want to quote me on a soundbite, Yeshua is a hundred percent for his flock, and he died for them. That's he right. loved them so much he died. died he shed for, his yeah. own blood when when he was completely in the right. To live forever and That's to take right. the throne of David. Oh, yeah. Yeshua died for his people. Yeah, one hundred percent of them, and he 100%. won't lose any of them. He exactly. won't lose any of them. So it's yeah. a false dichotomy that we heard today in that presentation. This idea that how could Yeshua be against his own people? It it it's like oh yeah, that's right. The oral Torah must have some validity. No, that's that's just wrong. That's to me that's uh, born of of a romantic, emotional desire rather than lay out everything on the table unless it's look at the facts. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what's going on. Now, my family is going on vacation next week. We're also going on vacation. Um, I, I know I switched topics very suddenly there, but I agree with what you said, by the way. Um, we're going on a vacation in September as well for a week, and we're going to miss another Rob and Caleb show. So here's what I'm thinking. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, eight uh, sound bites from uh, Mr. Janicki's uh, uh, lecture that he gave, um, and I think that they will be worthwhile to to go through because he talks about Gentiles in the body of the Messiah, of the Messiah and boy, is that an interesting talk that he gives. Um, however, I think that we've gone long enough today because we're at about an hour and a half. So maybe what Rob and I will do is either record that show and we'll play it while we're on vacation in September, or maybe we'll just wait and do it after we come back in two weeks. We'll have to figure that out. Before we go, now, uh, for those who uh, might not listen to our show on a regular basis, if you don't know, if you come into the, the chat room for the first time, and we haven't seen you before. If you send me your name and your uh, where you live, we will welcome you correctly. Now, I know one of the people who's in here for the first time, and so I'm able to properly inv- welcome him to the show. So, here you go. 
We would like to welcome Gage Diffie from Oklahoma to the Robin Caleb Show's listening audience. You are now one of the 36 coolest people on earth. Please consider yourself blessed. You've been blessed. If you'd like us to welcome you to the chat room, please send me your name and your location to chag at torresource.com. Okay. Any final can, thoughts? Can, yeah, can we play one of my funny clips just to end light, on a end on a jovial note? Light can I say mood. jovial? Is that invoking the god of an ancient Roman uh, religion? No, I don't. I what? <laughs> um, hang on, just a sec. I gotta find your. Oh, it's on on my desktop. Yes, let's play one of your clips. Key Rob soundboard. Which clip would you? Oh wait, that's not it. FX. Hold, hold, hold. Okay. Rob's soundboard. Is that it? Oh, here we go. Maybe. Which one do you have? Which one do you want? Um, the one about the... the. Oh, I don't remember what I called it. Did he find any? Or it's, it's the one from the movie The Big Short. Okay. Hang on just a second. I, here it is. Do... Do we see eye to eye? No. No. Uh, experts getting off topic. Good question. Has there we go. Here, here we go. I found it. Ready? Mark is an excellent student of the Torah and Talmud. Then what's the problem, Rabbi? It's the reason Mark is studying so hard. He's looking for inconsistencies in the Word of God. So has he found any? <laughs> So it's a it's it, it just to set the scene it's it's a it's a mom of a yeshiva student a young yeshiva bahur a little you know ten year old or whatever talking to the rabbi the head of the yeshiva and he's like well Mark is a, an exceptional student in the Talmud um, but the reason he's so good in it is because he's trying to find inconsistencies in the Word of God and uh, <laughs> and the mom looks at him well well rabbi. Has, has he, he found, found any? any? Has he found any yet? Like she's like, <laughs> like she. <laughs> so, but here we go. The, the idea is that the word of God, therefore, is in the Talmud. See, I mean, and even behind the imp, for that clip to work, we have to understand that the world of that clip is that the Talmud is the word, the words of the rabbis are the words of God, and to find inconsistencies is to find an inconsistency in in the word of God. And so what's funny is the mom's clueless, like, well, are there any <laughs> inconsistencies? Uh, All right. Fine. So so uh, I think that maybe we'll probably pre-record uh, the show on Janicky, and we can do that one in September when we go on vacation. Um, now, next week, as you all have heard and should know by now, there will be no show notes that go out because we will be on vacation. And uh, we'll be interviewing Dr. Chris Tilling. A wonderful interview, I thought, uh, that we had. So please join us for that. The chat room will be open. If you want to send us any feedback, you can do so at chag at torresource.com. If you want to make comments on any of our videos, all the comments are turned off on our videos, go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com backslash Robin Caleb Show. You can comment on the show there, and that way everyone will be able to see it. And so as we go on vacation, we do hope that this look at these clips has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>